Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of the Feel Your Phantom Podcast. My name is Saint. And I'm Jim. And boy howdy, are we happy to be back up in your ear holes again today. You know it's true. Girl, you know it's true. Ooh, ooh, ooh. We love you. Facts. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Jim, you're just getting back from a whirlwind uh, road trip weekend extravaganza. Why don't you tell me a little bit about that, my buddy? Yeah, it's been uh, nonstop all go the last couple of days. As we record this, it is Tuesday. And I left <clears throat> last Thursday. Um, my lady and I went to um, go on a couple of days worth of road tripping, following Better Than Ezra out on tour. They kicked off their Legends of the Fall 2022 tour in Chicago, which is only about an hour and a half away from here. And then they continued the tour the next couple of nights in Indianapolis and St. Louis. And because they're only a couple hours apart from each other, we just decided we we're going to make a, uh, a nice long weekend out of it. So. We wound up doing a nice big triangle and uh, following the band for a couple of days and saw a couple of really great shows. And it's just really, really great to see them in any context, but especially in these kind of like medium-sized clubs where you can get right up to the front if you show up early enough. And if you want to stalk them and say hello, the bus is always right around back and they're always super cool about coming out and taking pictures and saying hello to everybody. Um, so that was a lot of nice. fun. Yeah. <clears throat> it was a good time. And uh, we, we really had a nice time catching up with the band and seeing some shows, and they wound up, um, for this tour, you can probably hear some birds in the background, I'm sorry, I got my window open, so I... I That's I okay. There's like some, some birds singing out there, but it's, it's a nice happy sound. Bird. Now, now, stay off the comp. Um, but yeah, they, they wound up dusting off a, a bunch of songs for this tour that they haven't played in a very long time, including two songs off of their very difficult to find but heavily fan traded 1989 cassette only local release called Surprise that they let go just in uh, Louisiana and uh, of course it's been bootlegged to death and the band knows that Um, it actually got re-released a couple of years ago but none of us bought it and that was by design because the original master recordings were held by uh, their ousted drummer Kerry Bonacase who was their first drummer the first six seven years of the band and they had a falling out over royalties, and, um, you know, they wound up having to go to court over it, so he's kind of persona non grata, but he did, in the settlement, get the uh, the rights to the, the first cassette-only album and re-released it, but none of us bought it because fuck that guy. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of where we're at with it. But it's been bootlegged to death, and we all know the songs, and they released a couple of those songs. Like, one of the two they played was also on the Empire Records film soundtrack, and the other one was re-recorded for their their rarities and b-sides collection so uh they're not unfamiliar songs they're out there but it was kind of a nice surprise to hear those songs um from this band who usually kind of tends to rely on uh more recent material but it was just a great couple of days worth of shows and then we drove back from st louis on sunday and i had band rehearsal yesterday which is when my voice sounds like uh you know 10 miles of bad road but um bouncing back bouncing back a little too old for rock and roll though i mean because we get there really early, because we want to be able to get our elbows up on the rail, it's a lot of standing around. Like, if the doors are at 7 o'clock and the show starts at 8, then we tend to get there about, uh, you know, 4 or 5 in the afternoon, so we wind up standing uh, for a good, you know, 8 or 10 hours. Yeah. But, you know, and then, you know, you kind of wind up going back to the hotel and going, man, it's just, oh, wow, I'm just, oh, my feet hurt, and my back is kind of killing me. But, 
you know, if the band can do three shows in a row up on stage, jumping around and pouring out all that energy and then making the same drive you are, well, then as a fan, you can get up there and put your elbows on the stage and do the same thing in support of that. So uh, it was a good time. We had a really, really wonderful time. And hopefully we're going to be able to do it again soon. How about you? How's your weekend? Well, we won't get into that too much. We've been trying to stay positive around here and uh, more medical shit than I can shake a stick at. Uh, finally, oh, they just scheduled me uh, finally for a consultation. It was supposed to be for colonoscopy because I'm 45. I'm a man of a certain age. And that's about the time we have to start getting the, the old uh, camera up the schnozzle. So. Hey, I just had mine a week ago. Fun, fun, fun. Good times. But uh, the, the consult uh, went to the point where it's like, well, you know, we can get you in like immediately. It's like, well, is it that dire? And they're like, no, but, you know, you've had some health issues and we want to make sure. And so they scheduled me at last Friday. Like you said, it's Tuesday as we record this. Uh, Friday I went and got the what they call the upper endoscopy, yeah. which is the uh, the top half. So they knock you out and shove a tube down your throat and check out your stomach and your stomach lining and your esophagus and all that stuff. And so that was good fun. Uh, the wonderful thing about that is that the drugs were so good that uh, they're like, okay, we're going to put this uh, rubber gasket in your mouth for the for the camera to go in. Let us know if the band's too tight. And I'm like, no, it's not. And then all of a sudden they're like, wake up, we're done. Yeah. And I'm like, well, did you start? Like, super disorienting, but at the same time, it's like, wow, I slept through all that. That was badass. Yeah, well, um, they'll do this, hopefully not badass, when they get down to the lower GI portion of the proceedings, but <clears throat> we shall see. But, the, yeah, that was the, the experience I had, too. The, the anesthesiologist came in before the procedure and said, yeah, we're going to use propofol. And, and the, my only pop culture reference for that is, um, it's what Michael Jackson used to use to fall asleep, apparently, when he was uh, kind of in, in his, his um, yeah. really tough phase of his career. And uh, I remember um, Robin Williams talking about it on stage once, saying he'd had to have it for a procedure, and he said, yeah, they call it milk of amnesia, because it's this white stuff, and they put it in the... T- and it just knocks you right the fuck out. And he wasn't wrong. I mean, they, they wheeled me no. in, and I was in the room, and <clears throat> the guy said, okay, here we go with the uh, you know the anesthetic. And I'm, I'm looking, I roll over, and I kind of look at the him putting the thing into my IV tube, and I go, oh, I wonder how long it's going to take to knock me... Hey, welcome back! And it was instantaneous. <laughs> and it's the weirdest... It's like having... It's so jarring. We all have... Yeah, we, we all have the experience of falling asleep naturally, but just having that fucking switch flipped in our brain where we just go out. You know, you watch the stuff go into your IV tube and you think, oh, I hope that doesn't take too long to take it. Boom. You're just out. Out like a fucking light. And it's just really kind of interesting and kind of jarring, but also kind of cool that they can just, that medical science is just advanced to the point where they can just knock you out and then you, you blink a couple times and you wake up in the recovery room and you've just kind of lost that time. It's interesting. Yeah, and uh, like I said, I'm hoping for the uh, the other end to be quite as peaceful. I got that coming up on uh, uh, six days from now on on Halloween. I'm going in to get that done. So it's the perfect the only... time. Perfect time to get your spooky cave explored is on Halloween. Hopefully, <laughs> there's no tricks. ghosts in there. All tricks, no treats. Uh, <laughs> here's hoping that uh, the med the prep for it doesn't ruin me. You know, I got to be honest because uh, I, because I, I'm not going to lie to you. The prep was actually the toughest part for me because if you're like me, and I think in many ways you are, um, I'm on you know not a lot of medications, but a fair amount of medications, and one of them is a, uh, a an NSAID for joint pain 
called Diclofenac. It's the pill version of Voltaren, which they sell over the counter now in, in grease form, so you can lube up your joints from the outside. Yeah. And um, it works really well, and I got it from my shoulder years ago, and I also have kind of a shitty elbow now. So, you know, I take that, and it beats back the discomfort and the stiffness and the pain to a decent level. Um, but they make you stop all your medications, all your supplements, all of your everything for about five or six days before the procedure. And, of course, you know, the day before, you can't eat any solid food. You're just on broth and jello for the 24 hours prior to the procedure. And that part wasn't the worst. But after two or three days of not taking this joint pain medication, I was creakier than a fucking 20-year-old deck <laughs> off the side of your house. I, every step was just... Uh, snap, crackle, and pop. I could hear the sand in my joints all the way into my eardrums, and it was just really tough. But I don't know. I, that was the worst part for me. The actual procedure went really well. It took me a day or two to really come all the way out of the anesthesia. I was pretty groggy, and I mean, I felt awake, but I just felt, you know, thick and 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 uh, really kind of uh, draggy. But it was it was interesting. It, it'll. I mean, I went I went there ahead of you. I, I scouted out the land, and it's uh, it's not entirely without bumps. But um, yeah, I think you'll be able to handle it just fine. I went in, uh, on uh, Friday when I got the procedure done. I had forgotten that I had made a, a, a Facebook Marketplace appointment to meet somebody to buy a... Uh, they got those 2DS XLs that I really yeah. like. But the, uh, one of the color schemes that I wanted to get was purple and silver. And that one's a pretty hard to get one. And I found a guy in Bellevue who was selling one pretty cheap, reasonably priced. Uh, and uh, he was really, really cool about holding it for me till the weekend when I could make the time to come get it. But because they scheduled this appointment so quickly, I didn't have time to rearrange everything. So I got home from the procedure, groggy, you know, as you said. Yeah. And, Can't uh, drive, yeah. I gave it about, oh, four hours. And I got in the car and drove. Oh, my goodness. And I was fine. It, the problem with me wasn't the fact that I was groggy or anything. The problem with me is I've been going through this last week and a half or so, another stint of being nauseous every single day, which kind of worried me because I was afraid it was going to be another uh, ketoacidosis kind of thing and, and trigger me back into that kind of thing, which I'm very, very uh, uh, alert to. So I've been trying to follow any procedures I can to get that taken care of and dealt with and but the nausea just is there, and so uh, yeah. I had to bring a bucket with me just to be safe. <laughs> but uh, I made it. No problems. I'm home. The The sickness is mostly gone, I think, hopefully. Cross your fingers. But uh, other than that, uh, I tried to do that. Remember I said uh, when I bought that Voltron Lego, I was going to do a Lego day with my family? Yeah. We finally, we finally got all the Legos in for that, and so we all sat down on... Uh, uh, Saturday night, and we put on all oh, the spooky music playlist from uh, Spotify, and we just all started doing Legos. Now I forgot I Legos can be a very frustrating thing if you run forward and don't pay attention to directions. And and half of my family members, William Maria, uh, like to jump ahead and uh, not follow instructions. And these instructions are kind of terrible anyway because they're boot Legos, and so, um, and as it turns out, Maria's little Pokemon Legos are like quarter size Legos. They're tiny, tiny. Um, so I mean, it was a frustrating experience, um, but it, I mean, it was fun. Uh, I still yeah. haven't finished my Optimus Prime yet. 
but uh, things take time. Autobots, roll out! Other than that, uh, yeah, I mean, things are going apace. Things are moving forward. We're uh, about a week away from Halloween. Uh, by the time you, by the time you hear this, a uh, couple days. So, um, yeah. Other than that, I don't have any plans for Halloween. I'm not going out. I'm not getting dressed up. I'm not doing any of that this year. Yeah, I don't think I'm we doing... are either. I think the only thing we're doing is uh, my niece and my nephew are. Uh, they, they do a haunt that's about half an hour away from here, and the, they're super into it. And uh, you know, I, I think we'll go to that. It, it just kind of reminds me of my days doing uh, doing Fright Fest. I used to be a a character, a costumed creature. At uh, the uh, the Six Flags Park outside of Chicago for about twelve years, and you know, I, I, the body is is uh, would be tough to do that now. But um, you know, it was a really good time when I did it, and and so uh, we're gonna go and see, you know, the uh, the, the the kids. They're, I call them kids; they're in their early twenties now. But we're gonna go and check them out and and see yeah, the haunt that they're, they've worked so kids. hard on. They're super proud of. Uh, yeah, so we're gonna go do that. But I think other than that, we're just gonna kind of lay low and maybe hand out some candy. I want candy, bubble gum, and taffy. I was I still want to do this one year and go get a bunch of like Costco boxes of the full size candy bars and just for one year, oh, yeah. just for one year, be you that be family. Heroes, just for one year, right? Uh, so I don't know. We'll see. Probably not going to do that this year. Well, the problem with doing that, especially when you're in the boat that we're in, is that if you don't wind up getting a lot of trick or treaters, you wind up having forty or fifty you know full size candy bars hanging out, and who's going to eat all these? Well. Probably okay. not the diabetics, but you know, hey, uh, anything is uh, anything goes at the holidays, I suppose. The diabetics shouldn't be the one eating it, anyways. But uh, so, really, uh, in lieu of a topic today, we kind of have a lot of news stuff that we wanted to catch up on, and we usually do that tangibly in front of the uh, episodes, anyways. But in, I mean, yep, we're just going to do it as an episode because there's 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 a few things we wanted to cover, so. Uh, looking at the news as it goes, oh, by the way, uh, I know, uh, this is news for us, this is news for the Fuel Your Fandom podcast set, uh, we have, uh, endorsement coming up, a sponsor. We do. We a do. A partnership. Uh, we can't exactly yes. get into the details about it just yet. We're still, uh, inking the deal, as they say, but, uh, as soon as we get their, uh, test products in the old mill so we can do a proper uh, good review of them uh, we are going to be having a brand sponsor join the program so that's yeah. pretty exciting it is exciting it's 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 uh it's kind of a rite of passage it's uh um you know obviously uh there there are uh thousands of podcasts online and, and uh, you know, we, we had to start one by law because we're a couple of white guys in our 40s um, so kind of right. setting yourself apart from the, uh, the, the se separating the wheat from the chaff and the men from the boys if you will it's uh, you know, that, that sponsorship that, that baby sponsorship that first time that you actually get somebody who's willing to believe in you and invest in what you're doing it's a, it's a really good feeling so yeah, yeah as much as we don't want to necessarily inundate our, our, uh, our, our wonderful listenership with ads this one's a pretty cool one and we think you're going to like what uh what it is that uh, that we're going to be talking about? So, um, yeah, for yeah, sure. And I think exciting. I think the the reason is because we decided, that, and me and Jim talked about this at one point, is that we're not going to 
uh, sign a sponsorship ad or anything like that with something we don't believe in or something we wouldn't support or something that doesn't uh, tickle our fancy. So, I mean, we're not going to sure. be like, you know, going on about garlic. It's unique, you know, like old Larry King ads and shit like that. And Oh, by not, the I'm, way, if you have packages, you want to do stamps.com. We're not going to yeah. do that guy. No, because I haven't gone to the and post also, office in uh, years on purpose. Yeah, I'm going to say right now, fuck HelloFresh as well. I know they advertise on a lot of podcasts, but those guys <laughs> those guys did me dirty when I actually was with them for a brief amount of time. So uh, then the customer service was spectacularly unhelpful. So, yeah, nice. uh, I'll just say that right now. Fuck HelloFresh, and we can do that on the record because if they ever decide to uh, come back and want to throw some money our way, uh, we can't be bought. We, you can't buy us. You can't buy the Fuel Your Fandom podcast. You can't do it. So, you know, if you want to toss us a couple of bucks and a couple of products to talk about something that we already think is pretty cool, then, hey, we're willing to talk to you. But, um, you know, we're not going to be the people that just take anybody. And yeah, we're not going to be shoving sure. products down the throats of the people who are goodly enough to listen to us uh, if they're not products we enjoy. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's a, a principled stance we're, we're taking right here and now. Before this video begins, let me tell you guys about Raid Shadow Legends. No. No, I don't think I will. Exactly that. And hopefully in the next week or two we'll be uh, uh, rolling that program out and letting y'all know what's going on and, and we're super excited about it. So, uh, not quite mums the word, but we're being cautious with it. And as soon as we have the details in our hot little sweaty hands, we will let y'all know. So, that was just a little bit of internal news. It's been a hot minute since we've done a Nerd News Nexus. So, let's start it off with a bang. Uh, as of yesterday, Monday, uh, they released the first trailer for Ant-Man and Wasp Quantumania. And uh, that was kind of a surprise. I didn't know it was coming. Yeah. Um, and usually I'm pretty up on these things, so I'll figure out a known, but I didn't. Uh, and there really? were some surprises in the trailer, too. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you talk about it. What did you well, think about it? I, I thought it was interesting because, I mean, uh, we've got a little bit of a time leap going on. Maybe not so much, I guess, a time leap going on. But it's been a few years, uh, right. thanks to COVID and everything else, since the last time uh, we saw Ant-Man on screen. And, and it's been even longer than that since since uh, he and Wasp had their own movie. Um, obviously, Paul Rudd and Evangeline Lilly are returning and reprising their roles. We have a new Cassie Lang, the original actress who played Paul Rudd, Scott Lang's daughter, has been recast. Uh, she's a bit older now, and um, she shows up in a suit in the film. Um, apparently, she um, kind of is a, uh, a junior brainiac on a level of some of the, the brainiacs that we have in the Marvel Universe because she, in the course of the trailer, again, no spoilers. If you haven't seen it, you can go out and watch it, but this is all just in the trailer, so we're not blowing anything up or giving anything away. But she finds a way to apparently communicate with the quantum realm, and that's kind of the, the impetus, the catalyst that evidently kicks off the events of the film as we see in the trailer. People still need help, Dad. That's why we made this. It's like a satellite for deep space, but quanta. Wait, wait a minute. You're sending a signal down to the quantum realm. Turn it off. Now! Right, but, uh, yeah, so she comes up with some kind of way to communicate. Some, some MacGuffin, some floating blue spark in the air over some apparatus that allows them to communicate with this quantum realm in which Scott Lang spent a good chunk of, uh, of time before you know the, the famous rat exploded him out of the back of the van in the Avengers film. And, right. uh, and Janet and of Van course, Dyne... Right, exactly that. Janet Van Dyne was trapped there for dozens of years. 
Yeah, so. she was there for quite a while, and uh, she knows the place better than anybody, and that does come up in the trailer because uh, she goes over to Cassie and says, uh, you're, sending, you're trying to communicate with them? Turn that off right now. And, of course, she can't get to it fast enough. They get sucked into the quantum realm. And then we have the moment where uh, Janet Van Dyne pulls the hood over her head and says, well, there's some things I didn't tell you about being in here. Bum, 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 bum. bum. So, yeah. And then, uh, again, we're not blowing anything up, not any spoilers, but we see this in the trailer. Uh, Jonathan Majors as Kang the Conqueror, who we last saw as He Who Remains, a Kang the Conqueror variant in the Loki series on Disney+, Plus, makes a return. And so um, that's kind of setting up what we know to be coming in the next phase or two of Marvel films, where the next set of Avengers films is going to be called uh, the Kang Dynasty, I believe it is. Something, it's got Kang in the title. So we have Thanos already. Yeah, Yeah, Kang is evidently, they're setting him up as the big bad for the next round of Avengers films. And of course, we're also setting up very quietly the next round of Avengers. Um, If you want to kind of look at the MCU as a whole with what they're doing on screen, both small and big, um, we've got a lot of really cool players coming in. Obviously, uh, Iron Heart is going to be making her debut coming up pretty soon. Uh, the She-Hulk series just wrapped, and that was a fucking ride and a lot of fun. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, and then obviously Ms. Marvel. We've got all of these these sort of like the second wave of Marvel heroes, the Young Avengers kind of characters that are coming in to fill the the uh, the shoes left by the departure of uh, of Cap and, and Iron Man, and uh, we've still got obviously some of the Avengers knocking around. We've got um, you know Black Widow is gone. But Thor, uh, you know, just had a, his most recent outing, and Hawkeye is out there still knocking around, although he's got Kate Bishop following him around now, and she's starting to make some waves. So it, we're sort of like doing a torch passing in a way. Um, yeah, between we're setting some up of the, the Young guard. Avengers for sure. Yeah, we've still got some of the folks like Ant-Man and Wasp were introduced later who still have quite a bit of momentum behind them, and they're going forward. But um, most of the original Avengers... Uh, Hulk was reduced to a bit player in She-Hulk, which worked just fine. Um, but... Again, it's the moratorium was I think passed. It's been a week or two or six since the end of She-Hulk, so there were some surprises in the She-Hulk finale too. Obviously, we knew we were getting more uh, Charlie Cox and Vincent D'Onofrio in uh, Daredevil, but uh, they also did some announcements on the cast, and we're getting most of that cast back. Um, Deborah Wall is coming back. Um, I don't remember the name of the actor who played Foggy Nelson, but he's coming back as well. Sweet. Um, so. Yeah, pretty much the entire cast from the original uh, Netflix universe uh, Daredevil series is coming back. Um, but Daredevil featured pretty heavily and prominently in a couple of episodes of the She-Hulk series. And at the very end, we got a sort of like bomb drop, blink and you miss it cameo from Scar, who is, you know, Hulk's son. And yeah, from the Scar, World War Hulk story. Yeah, from yeah, Planet Hulk and World War Hulk, that whole chain of, of stories. And uh, because Hulk exited, or not exited, but, you know, kind of came in as a cameo, the Mark Ruffalo Hulk came in as a cameo in the first part of the She-Hulk series, and then he decided to bugger off on a spaceship to Sakaar, um, it's pretty heavily implied that we're going to get some some Planet Hulk or World War Hulk storylines coming up with the Mark Ruffalo Hulk coming up pretty soon, especially when he drops back into Earth through the, uh, the finale of She-Hulk and he brings his son with him. Uh, that opened up a whole can of worms that they could go any number of directions with, but he's there now, he's in there, so... Yeah. They'll be doing some stuff with that, or why would they bother? Um, Marvel, the MCU in particular, has been kind of both lauded and dinged, depending on who's making the criticism or the recommendation, for kind of leaning a lot on the interconnectedness of the universe and 
the people who are not happy about that are saying, well, because everything has to dovetail into a larger narrative, it does somewhat rob the storytellers of individual films or series from being able to do anything they want with the character and make the stakes just localized to that particular storyline. But honestly, I really feel like the interconnectedness of the universe is is one of the main things I like about it. It's something that the DCEU has struggled with um, because yeah, we've got sure. obviously the Arrowverse, and then we've got a couple of different Flashes. Uh, you know, Black Adam has just came out last weekend, and I've heard some things about that that are pretty spoilery that I won't talk about now because I don't really feel like the window is up. But um, you know, it's out there in the press now that there's going to be some some interesting stuff happening at the DCEU, but. I really feel like the interconnectedness of the MCU is one of its biggest strengths. Um, it does kind of hamstring the creators a little bit from being able to tell individualized stories, but I really like seeing these, having, having the feeling like we're reading the books, like any character can really show up at any time to kind of be a, a deus ex machina or a MacGuffin or change the course of the, the story. And I like that the DC, excuse me, I like that the MCU is doing that. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do with some of these characters going forward, because otherwise, why would they bother setting them up? And actually, that was one of the big criticisms that Edgar Wright had during the first Ant-Man movie. Uh, as, as many people know, he was one of the first directors tapped for that movie. Um, mm-hmm. He just he felt hamstrung by the, the need to be beholden to this giant master plan. He said it kind of took away from his creativity and, and didn't allow him to move where he wanted to move. And that's why he didn't end up directing that movie. But, I mean, I get it. That's certainly uh, a criticism, if you want to call it that. Uh, yeah. Some would call it a failing. Some would call it a bonus. But you know, uh, and she I think Hulk it really is what really... sets apart the DCEU from the MCU, and I think it's what makes them uh, kind of my preferred comic movie universe. Universe, yeah. And, and she Hulk did some really fun playing around with breaking the fourth wall in the in the last episode. And uh, again, we're past the spoiler moratorium. I'm not going to give it away a whole lot, but uh, let's just say she uh, she breaks into the real world to have a confrontation with some people and. Uh, it was pretty fun. I really enjoyed, I enjoyed it. And what I really also enjoyed about it is that obviously this series was was shot and kind of started putting it together before any of it aired. You can't air a series before you shoot it. So they're pretty savvy over at the MCU. I think they sort of anticipate a lot of the time well, some of the fandom is just going to be toxic, and there's going to be nothing we can do about that. Not everybody's going to like everything, but the fact that a lot of people didn't like Captain Marvel or Ms. Marvel just because they had female leads. I think that gave Marvel a kind of an aha moment where they had the ability, I mean, obviously it did, because this, if you've seen any of the She-Hulk series, it factors in, where there's this uh, sort of toxic fandom even in the MCU about people who just dislike these heroes because they don't look like them. And not every hero can look like a straight white guy, straight white guys. You and I have talked about this many times before when we kicked around toxic fandom. But the fact that She-Hulk in particular understood that was going to be the case before they even shot frame one of the series, worked it in as a plot point, and then wound up during the finale just kind of basically saying, you know what, guys, fuck you. This isn't for you. If you don't like it, don't watch it. We know you're going to because you like to hate watch things and bitch about it on Twitter. But at the same time, we also know you're going to watch because uh, the Marvel business model is the schoolyard pusher business model. We The first one's free, and then we hook you. Once we got you, we got you. And unless you want to miss giant chunks of the overall larger narrative, you're going to watch the show, whether you like it or not. So hate yep. it all you want, but we got you, and you know we know you're going to watch. And I thought it was great the way they just sort of like tweaked all of the toxic dude bro fans in context, <laughs> knowing in advance they were going to have a problem with the series and using the concept of the fourth wall break 
to kind of give him shit. I thought it was a brilliant move on their part. And it was just a nice way of saying, yeah, you know what? Fuck you. We're doing what we want. If you don't like it, don't watch. I loved that about it. Absolutely. Uh, next piece of little news. Uh, we mentioned uh, Black Adam coming out into the theaters. Yeah. Uh, Black Adam is out and doing gangbusters numbers, apparently. It is. Um, it is apparently, from what I understand, uh, one of The Rock's biggest opening weekends ever. Which, when you got a guy with who's like The Rock, who, who can open a movie in the middle of COVID, you can open a movie in the middle of, 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 of a terrible political climate, that guy, his Q score is through the roof, everybody loves him, and for good reason. So, you know, seeing him, and I've seen interviews that he's done around this movie where he said, yeah, I've, been, I've had a lot of superhero roles offered to me, but none of them felt right. And this one was particularly close to his heart because he really loved the character and he worked really hard to bring it to the screen. But I'm noticing a really curious phenomenon around this film. Okay. The reviews are terrible. None of the critics like it. Um, but the audience scores are pretty solid. So once again, not that critics aren't real people, but the real people, the audiences, seem to really be into this film. And, and our good friend Aaron Dorive, who uh, has been on the show to talk about uh, Star Wars, and we're going to have him back on to talk about Doom when that second movie drops, um, when we can find time to do that. He uh, put on his Facebook that uh, I went despite what the critics said, and I wound up actually really enjoying this film. So don't believe the anti-hype. Definitely go and check this out, because I thought it was great. So, yeah, the audiences like it, the nerds like it, and uh, it's just the critics who are looking at it going, ah, superhero fatigue, you know, whatever. Um, I I'm going to see it. I haven't seen it yet. I'm going to. I'm probably going to go as soon as I can free up some time some night this week and go check it out. Um because I like Dwayne Johnson, and uh, the character seems interesting, and and uh, there's definitely a Shazam tie in there, and the Shazam film uh, was one of my favorites in the DCEU so far. Looking forward to the next edition of that. Um, and, of course, uh, as we will not discuss here, because the moratorium isn't up on spoilers, there are some interesting twists and cameos and things that happen in this movie that I've read about that I was upset to be ruined for me, so I won't ruin them for you if you haven't seen the film, but... But that kind of uh, makes it also interesting to me. So I'll be checking it out. Well, I'll tell you what. I, I think I'm going to kind of spoil it just because it's it's like the worst guarded secret in the world. This is the Andrew Garfield isn't in The Amazing Spider-Man, well, isn't in DC even no kind of spoiled and... it by tweeting about it a day or two before the movie opened. So I guess maybe we shouldn't right. feel too bad. Well, here, here's the thing. It ties directly into another piece of information that we wanted to get across on this Nerd News Nexus episode. They fought tooth and nail to make this happen, and they finally did. I guess it was like a, an act of Congress to get this to happen, but there is a post credit scene involving Superman. And of course, Superman in the DCEU is played by Henry Cavill. And Henry Cavill mm -hmm. is a wonderful person, a, a huge super nerd, which is great. Uh, we love it when our own reach prominence, so... Um, there's been a lot of speculation, idle speculation back and forth, whether or not he would be reprising his role as Clark Kent Kal-El uh, in the uh, DCEU, if, you, if we can even still call it the DCEU, I don't know. But uh, he came out a week after the movie was released, so uh, a couple days ago, and on Twitter, and, and officially confirmed that this is not... The last time you will see Superman in the DC movie universe. He said he's very grateful and thankful to be a part of it still. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what else they can do with him as Superman. I thought yeah. that was pretty pretty big news. And in fact, they dropped that news 
the same day that they dropped the Ant-Man trailer, and I wonder if they were trying to steal a little bit of uh, Marvel's thunder with that. They might have been. I wouldn't put it past. It could have been. Ah, steal the thunder. Yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, I it, it, it was tough. They, you're right. They did move heaven and earth to make this happen. And if you want to kind of get a sense of, of how either reluctant Henry Cavill was to suit back up again or how tough it was to get those pieces moved, um, obviously, famously, in the reshoots for Justice League, they had to CGI out his mustache because he was working on Mission Impossible, and they would let right. him shave it. But they also did have a Superman cameo uh, in the final post credit sequence for the Shazam movie, which was far above average and quite good, thanks in large part to Zachary Levi, who I find delightful. Um, yes. But it wasn't Henry Cavill in the suit. You didn't see him from the collarbones up. He just sort of like walked into the lunchroom carrying a lunch tray, and all the kids at the high school where uh, Shazam is partially set because, you know, obviously the whole conceit of the character is that there's Billy Batson as a younger version of Shazam turns into. Uh, Captain Marvel, which they couldn't say uh, by saying the name, and I thought they very cleverly danced around that. But they had uh, they did have a Superman cameo, so Superman does still exist in the DCEU. But it's really hard when you've got a character that is that identified with, or an actor who's so identified with that character, and then try and use that character in any meaningful way. Obviously, in the uh, the final scene of Peacemaker, Superman did show up, but only in silhouette. Um, and the only actual actors that they had uh, were Ezra Miller and Jason Momoa as Flash and Aquaman, respectively, to kind of acknowledge that tie-in to the larger Justice League, DCEU, whatever. Um, right. But yeah, this is a pretty big deal. It's a, it's a full-scale of return of a very identifiable and beloved character played by the actor who is most closely associated with him in the modern you know version of the, the character. So, yeah, it's, it's a pretty big deal, and we won't be seeing... Uh, it's not the last we're going to see of him. So, yeah, uh, the DCEU is, is apparently uh, bringing back some of the big guns, uh, both literally and figuratively, to, to be able to, uh, to try and propel their universe forward. And, and I'm, I wish them well with it, honestly. I think Henry Cavill is a fantastic spokesperson, same as The Rock uh, is, and same, Jason Momoa is also very, very good with uh, uh, being a positive role model and a positive influence. And we won't about the, the less said about flash. Ezra Miller, the better. Right, exactly. But uh, it was exciting to have that confirmed nonetheless. And like I said, we love it when geeks of our own stripe kind of get their due and get to be a huge part of geek culture. And between Superman and The yeah. Witcher, he's just all up in it. All oh, up and in uh, also, guts. let's not forget that Henry Cavill has been cast in the reboot of Highlander. Oh, that's right. So he's going to be, uh, he's, if, if you need a, uh, a charismatic actor with, with massive real muscles to kind of carry your franchise out of, uh, out of development, then I guess, I guess you got to hire Henry Cavill. So that's four between Witcher and, uh, Superman and, uh, Highlander and also, um, oh gosh, what's the other one that he's, uh, Mission Impossible. He's still uh, yeah. working on those films if they make any more of those. I mean, the man is, is just about as bankable as they get, so... Good for him, and a rising tide lifts all boats. We want to see geek stuff win, so if the DCEU can uh, can can turn the, the the ship around a little bit, change course a little bit, bring back Henry Cavill as Superman, um, yeah, I think we're gonna. I'm here for that. Absolutely, I'm looking forward to it. So, uh, another just a peripheral piece of uh, rock news. The Rock. I gotta call him the Rock. It's like his first name, the last name Rock. Uh, but uh, The Rock was seen on, uh, well, if, you, if you're if you on uh, YouTube at all, 
you got to be familiar with the YouTuber Mr. Beast. Mr. Beast does a lot of uh, prank videos and challenge videos and things like that. But the key notable difference with Mr. Beast is he's very, very philanthropic. Yes. He does a lot of things for charity. He's planted millions of trees. He gives away millions of dollars. Uh, he, he's very philanthropic. And so one of the things he was kind of winding up for was playing rock, paper, scissors with the rock. If you beat me, I'll donate $100,000 to charity. Whichever one you want. Wow. You ready? Wow, I am. And he did a whole series of videos gearing up for that, giving away money to other people and preparing to meet The Rock. And so uh, on the red carpet for Black Adam, Mr. Beast met The Rock. And they played Rock, Paper, Scissors for charity. $100,000 to the winner's charity. And uh, I think... At the end, the be-all, end-all of it was, spoiler alert, Mr. Beast won. If I win, what happens? I donate $100,000 to whatever charity you want. Okay. And if you win, I will match that and donate $100,000 to any charity you want. Really? Yes. Oh, wow. There we go. Oh, my gosh. I was not expecting that. Oh, so what man. charity are we donating to? Let's go Make-A-Wish Foundation. Perfect. So The Rock had to give $100,000 to a chosen charity. Let Rock choose the charity. It was the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And uh, the Mr. Beast said, "Well, because you did it, we're doing it, and we're gonna make we're gonna match that donation and give to the same charity." So, uh, at least two hundred grand went to the uh, Make a Wish Foundation just based off of a, a silly thing that a YouTube guy was doing. So, I love Mr. Exciting. Beast for a lot of reasons. You know, he's 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 you're right. He's philanthropic, and that's kind of his defining characteristic. But whereas, like, I see a lot of people on TikTok, and this is a trend that I that kind of bothers me, TikTok and YouTube both, where some guy will just bring his little camera crew and he'll walk into a restaurant and say, I'm buying everybody's meals. And then, you know, he, uh, it's some, I've seen a couple, I don't even know who the guy is on TikTok that does that. But it just, I, you know, I look at that and I go, you're not doing that because you want to do that. You're doing that for internet clout, you know. But right. the thing about Mr. Beast is... He gives away tons of money, but he does it in a way that is entertaining. And it's more about the people he gives the, the money and the opportunities to than it is himself. Obviously, he and his crew are kind of at the center of this enterprise, but um, it's it's not for, hey, look at me, I'm really cool giving away money. It's entertainment. One of the f most fun things I've ever seen him do. And I want to say it was the first video of his I ever saw. He went to a small car lot with about you know 15 or 20 cars on the on the lot, and he walked in, and he uh, brought his camera crew, and he said, okay, how much to buy every car on this lot? I'm going to buy every car. And the people inside were like, are you serious? Just a small local car lot, not like a huge dealership, but a little little corner car lot with some used cars on it. And they figured out, because he had buckets, he had a, a giant briefcase full of cash. So they figured out a cash discount. Okay, here's what we can let these cars, let all of them go for. And then he just handed over a couple of, you know, that's forty or $50,000 or whatever it was to buy all these cars. Um, and then he turned around and put sale prices on the cars. He used the, the little green stickers that you see in the upper left-hand corner of the, of the cars on car lots. This one's 99 cents. This one's $5. This one's a dollar. This one is free. And then everybody that showed up at the car lot at that point, uh, just to buy a car that day, he said, uh, okay, so, uh, what, what do you think of our cars? This, this one's 99 cents. And you can see the disbelief, like, okay, what's the gag on people's faces? He's like, no, I'm serious. It's 99 cents. Do you want this car? It's, 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 I'll get it to you for a dollar. Less than a dollar. This one's five because it's a little newer, got a little bit lower miles on it. But uh, that one over there, um, that one's been hanging on a lot for a while. And kind of like the the the, uh, the sad old dog that nobody wants to, to bring home from the dealership. We want the, to rehome that to, to some worthy people. So we'll just give you that. You know, fuck it. We'll give you five bucks to take it. And 
he just gave away all these cars for pennies, and it was just really, really cool to see. And there were people in tears, people that showed up thinking, boy, I'm going to get shafted by this car lot, I need a car, but I really can't afford one, and he just wound up giving away all these cars for pennies, and it was just really entertaining and fun to see, and just making a difference in people's lives, you know, and that's really fun, and I, I do watch his videos a yeah. lot for that reason. I saw one the other day, he was in like a Walmart, and he had $1,000 in his hand, and he's like, I yeah. will give you $1,000, or you can give a random person $10,000. What do you pick? And a couple people picked $1,000 because they were in need and everything, and he, he's cool with that. He didn't chastise him or shame him or anything for that. And then he's like, this, we had this one guy, he got this like devilish grin on his face. He's like, I'm going to give away the ten grand." And he goes and gives away the ten grand, and the woman's crying and changed her life and all this stuff, and it's fucking awesome yeah. to see. And then Mr. Beast's like, okay, well, here's your ten grand now, and gave the guy ten grand for being so generous. And Virtue is its own reward often, but, you know, sometimes you wind up getting a little something on the back end out of it, too. I, I kept thinking about that, and, and it's like, I think I, even if I didn't know there was a reward in the end for me, I'd give away the ten grand, just because I'd love to see that kind of electricity, that kind of... Yeah, you know, life life changing, life affirming kind of moment between people. Uh, just that human moment where you can change to be a part of that course. You know, yeah, that would just be yeah. fucking intoxicating. So, but I'm a big fan of Mr. Beast. We watch a lot of his stuff in this house. So, yeah, and I, I think really uh, another another part of the reason why I love that guy is because I think if I had millions and millions of dollars and just more rolling in all the time, I would probably also do the same thing. I would just, you know, I wouldn't bring the camera crew necessarily, but I'd pay for the groceries of the person in front of me if they, you know, look like they might need the help. I would I would go out and just, uh, you know, drop a thousand bucks in the in, a, in the cup of an, of, a, of an unhoused person on the street who looked at them. And, you know, I, I would just do that kind of stuff. I would tip $500 on a $50 check. I would do that kind of thing just to, to watch people's faces light up. Yeah, for sure. Which is fun, because I could talk about Mr. Beast all day long. We've watched most of his videos in this house. They range from the asinine to the, the lucrative. And like you said, he did that whole car giveaway. And he gave away it at a quote-unquote chocolate factory. And he gave one dude a million dollars. I mean, it's just... it's. So the next piece of news I wanted to bring up was... Uh, we have a new Doctor Who... We sure do. Jodie Whittaker's Doctor Who faced regeneration, and we are now introduced to the fourteenth doctor, or the thirteenth, fourteenth, fourteenth Doctor, who is David Tennant. <laughs> I know we have another Doctor Who coming, but in a surprise move that kind of bollocks a lot of people, David Tennant is back in the role as Doctor Who. Uh, and looks like he's signed on for about three episodes. So how they're gonna how they're gonna work that transition over um, is beyond me, because uh, uh, he is uh, returned. And uh, we, I, when everyone knows that we're supposed to be getting uh, the uh, wonderful actor from uh, Sex Education, uh, Nikuti Gutawa. Yeah. Gatwa? I don't know. Nikuti Gatwa. Right, it looks but... like it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I never want to butch a, uh, an international name, but Nikuti Gatwa looks like the right. actor, and he's fantastic. Our first Doctor Who of color, which is only fitting after we had our first Lady Doctor Who. I, I can't say, it's just the Doctor. I, I, I'm showing my, my ignorance to the fandom with that particular property right. uh, by just not, by not referring to them as the Doctor. 
Um, but nonetheless, I mean, yeah, it's it's interesting to see that they. I mean, David Tennant was a fan favorite. He was beloved in the role. So bringing him back. I for love another, David Tennant in yeah. general. Yeah, he was great on Good Omens. He was fantastic on Jessica Jones. He's just a fantastic actor. He's badass as Scrooge McDuck. Yeah, sure is. In DuckTales. I have done far more good than harm for Duckburg. Ask anyone. Curse you, McDuck! Yeah. So good for him. But, but, uh, um, you're right. So now I guess that makes Nakuti Gatwa the 15th Doctor? I don't know. I don't, I don't know how that's going to officially shake out. But... It's just it uh, again. Seems I'm not to me usually like, steeped in that fandom. So yeah, neither know. am I. It's it really seems to me. And again, I don't know what the average tenure of any given doctor is, but it really feels like Jodie Whittaker only got like a season or two. It seems like she had a very short tenure in the role, um, which I understand the nature of the role. It's kind of like having a, a you know a politician with term limits. Uh, whoever the current doctor is eventually is broken down and, and regenerated as a in, in a different physical form. Same character, but a, you know, a different physical form. And that's pretty handy um, for the narrative, uh, because obviously the Doctor... I think they did that with James Bond. Didn't James Bond do regeneration? You know, there's a certain amount of, of question <laughs> about that. Because, you know, obviously in the original novels, James Bond is always James Bond. But actors age out of roles, they, they move on to other things. So I, I want to say that I remember reading an article at one point where... Somebody asked the Broccoli family, who have been the longtime producers of the, uh, the the James Bond films, so is it kind of like a Doctor Who thing, where you know we're just it's, it's all the same character, but we're just the you know a different actor will play James Bond, or is this the sort of thing where 007 is a code number, and eventually whoever occupies that role within MI6 is killed or taken off duty or retires, and they just give the name and the code number of James Bond to a new agent and he carries it forward. And the Broccoli family seem to indicate, no, it's all intended to be the same agent uh, throughout the ages, throughout the years, throughout the exploits. It's the same person, but realistically, we just know that we can't obviously continue to have Sean Connery uh, playing James Bond well into his 80s, and he wouldn't want that either. So they just keep on recasting the role, but we're, we are to believe that it is the same agent. Uh, so, right. yeah, there's there's different ways around that, but it's, it's interesting to see what they're going to do with this, and... And uh, I'm not, again, like, I, Doctor Who is kind of like Trek for me. It's a massive geek property that I have nothing but respect for. I've seen the odd episode here and there. I've seen clips. The very famous clip of, uh, I want to say it's the Matt Smith Doctor taking uh, Vincent Van Gogh into one of his own art, art exhibitions. We can see that he is a beloved artist post-mortem. was very touching, and that makes the rounds once in a while. And obviously Karen Gillan yep. in Nebula, she uh, did a turn as the, the Doctor's companion for a while. But I, it's there's just it's the same problem that I have with, with Star Trek. There's just so much going back to the 60s. And I understand that sort of the Christopher Eccleston Doctor Who was more of a, a reboot after a good gap of maybe 15 or 20 years. So that's kind of a good place to pick up. But I just, if I can't watch the entirety of something, I just, I can't really feel like I'm, I'm immersing myself in it. And Doctor Who, it's impossible to watch the entire thing. There are many lost episodes from the first couple of seasons because at the yeah. time, the That's BBC true. didn't know it was going to be a, a show with a legacy and a fan following well into the 2020s, so they taped over or let degrade yeah. a lot of their tapes that they originally recorded the episodes on back in the 60s and 70s. So y even Doctor Who fans cannot watch the entire series. And I, if I can't get all of it, I don't want any of it. That's just, I'm a kind of an all-or-nothing person when it comes to, to binging television, and and I it, maybe that's toxic of me, but, you know, at the same time, I love Doctor Who, I respect Doctor Who, it's obviously a great show. I know a lot of people whose opinions I respect who are super into it. It's just one of those things I miss the boat on and will never have time to catch up all the way. 
Well, Doctor Who's new international streaming supplier is Disney Plus. So uh, if they do show up on my Disney Plus, I might give it a poke around. I'm really curious to see why they regenerated back to David Tennant and how. And how they're going to transition into uh, Nakuti Ngatwa from there. So I'm curious. They've got my curiosity. They did it. They did a stunt. They did a ploy. And it freaking worked because now I'm, I, I kind of want to know. So good job on the Doctor Who people, BBC. So, another uh, piece of news, and you mentioned Karen Gilliam, uh, so that's a good little side note into this, and, and like five minutes before we were filming, I sent you a link uh, for the next in the installment in the Marvel Limited series, or what are they calling those things? Special... I don't know. I forget. There, what there are many series. Those. I'll just uh, use the term that specials. The, yeah, that the the, the, the pop, pop culture has always used the special or the miniseries or what have you. Well, they uh, released one in October, and I and I still haven't watched it. I'm really kind of falling down on that one. But uh, they released uh, Werewolf by Night. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet either. Which was a special, uh, but uh, I'm probably that's probably on the queue for the weekend this weekend. So, but. Five minutes before recording today, they released the trailer for the next Marvel special. And that Marvel special is the James Gunn-led Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special. But Peter's so sad about Gamora being gone. Maybe if we go to Earth for a really wonderful Christmas gift, it would make him happy. Something special he will never forget. What about someone special? We're looking for the legendary Kevin Bacon. We're looking for the legendary Kevin Bacon. I just said that, Drax. If your voice is small and mousy, I think maybe he didn't hear you. Ah! You're coming with us as a Christmas present. I thought that was great. Now, I had no idea how the hell they were going to pull off a holiday special for the Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, they're intergalactic. They don't really celebrate holidays. The only one who would even know of any Earth holidays would be Peter Quill. But I think they they kind of... I mean, we don't get a lot from the trailer. They, they give us a bit of the impetus for the movie, the, the special. But uh, I don't know. I'm really I'm kind of excited to see how they go with it. Well, it's uh, fun. Especially as it's... Madcap antics on Earth, yeah. which the the Guardians really haven't had any time on Earth, even after Endgame. So the Guardians have been they, they've uh, kind of been they're representing the cosmic arm of the MCU right now, but they've also always been kind of right. fun. And apart from showing up for again, spoiler moratorium is up. They they get fewer than a couple of minutes of screen time in uh, in the Thor Ragnarok film, um, so they don't uh, they're there because they kind of had to be because. Um, Thor, at the end of his last appearance the MCU, left on the Milano with the rest of the Guardians, and so they kind of had to address that in some fashion. Um, but yeah, we haven't really seen the Guardians do their own thing uh, since the quick one-two right. punch. Those, those movies came out uh, you know, about a year and a half apart from each other. Uh, they almost shot concurrently, which is interesting. So it, it'll be fun to see what they do. And the idea of the holiday special, obviously it kind of tweaks the Star Wars holiday special, which is famously shit. Although kind of so bad, it's oh, yeah. good in many ways, and that's been bootlegged and traded around. And have you watched it? Uh, I've have never seen it? the whole thing. I've seen. And you can't say so bad it's good because it's bad. <laughs> it's just kind it of is, like it's, it's. 
It's one of those it's hardware wars ma- bad. Maligned by many, but beloved by others, just for the pure Velveeta factor. Yeah, I have it on DVD. I bought a bootleg of it at the Secret Stash when we went there. So, as you do, as one does. Which is, it's incidentally, I spent so much money on bootlegs there. I bought. The, I told you I bought the Batman bootlegs there. I bought the holiday special. I bought another copy of the Roger Corman Fantastic Four because my album was on VHS, and who the hell has a VHS player anymore? I still got a Laserdisc uh, player, but I don't, have, I don't have a VCR. Whatever, Grandpa. Yeah. Um, Back in my day, our bought... DVDs came on 12-inch. <laughs> they had a, a bootleg of... You know how when they do uh, TV show pilots, uh, they'll do... Uh, a run of it, and if it doesn't make it, they'll yeah. usually end up on bootleg. We talked about how I wanted to get the Adrian Pilecki uh, Val, uh, Wonder Woman uh, pilot one of these days, just so I could see what happens in it. But they had a Justice League television show that they tried to do way back in the day, um, which was a Thursday. And uh, I'm stealing your jokes now. Mm-hmm. Um it was bad. It, it was really bad. That's I mean, cheesy bad. costumes, all of them kind of living together in a one-room flat. Um, Martian Manhunter. Uh, what is the name of the guy who plays uh, David Ogden Styers? That's right. Really played uh, Martian Manhunter, and he was he was not skinny in those days. And my old joke used to be, "Ha oh, ha, he looks like Martian Man Eater," but you know. <laughs> And then we got older and we put on a couple rude. of pounds and then we understood how body shaming is bad and now we're... Yeah. You, you grow, you do yeah, the work. Yeah, yeah. You, know. you live, you learn. But it wasn't good, so I bought a copy of that. I, we call that uh, affectionately between my friends group because I made them all watch it. Uh, we call that Justice League Detroit. <laughs> just because it's it's a, it's a nightmare. It really is, but it's fun to have. It's fun to watch. So, Anyways, uh, yeah, so Star Wars Holiday Special, bad. Hopefully, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special good. The trailer looks, looks promising. Fun. I mean, obviously, everybody's back in yeah. the makeup. Box Clementiev is doing the mattress thing. And and uh, uh, Dave Bautista has famously said he's kind of done with Drax after this next big Guardians film. But at least for here, yep. he's, he's obviously back in the makeup and back in full force and given that all he's got. And Yeah, it just looks entertaining. I, I'm definitely going to check it out. Absolutely. So... Uh, let's check that little box off the list. Chickity chicky chick. This just in breaking news. My God, we've never had to do this before. We have finished recording this podcast. We had got it set up and sent to the editor, which is also me. And then we got a news blast. Now, we told ourselves, you know what? This is good. We got a lot of news done here. We got a lot of business handled. But then we started looking at each other and going, you know what? That's not enough. That's not juicy enough. We need something big. We need something to hang this on. Yeah. And uh, And, uh, and we got it. Yeah. We slapped around the computer a little bit and out from its wonderful shining screen popped a new nugget of information. Jim, take it. This just in from the Hollywood Reporter with the title of DC Shocker. James Gunn and Peter Safran to lead the film and TV and animation division of uh, the DCEU. 
The hierarchy of power in the DC Universe really is changing. In a stunning turn of events, filmmaker James Gunn and producer Peter Safran have been tapped to lead DC's film, TV, and animation efforts as co-chairs and co-CEOs of DC Studios, a newly formed division at Warner Brothers that will replace DC Films. The unprecedented move, in which a top director will assume a top executive post, marks the end of a months-long search by Warner Brothers Discovery CEO David Zaslav to replace DC Films boss Walter Hamada, who departed the studio last week. That search had all of Hollywood guessing and playing executive bingo for who would land one of the most coveted and challenging jobs in town. In recent weeks, Gunn and Safran were spotted on the Warner Brothers lot meeting with Warner's film co-chair Michael DeLuca about future projects, and according to sources, the initial overture to Safran and Gunn came from DeLuca over the summer, even as the studio was in shaky talks with producer Dan Lin to take the job. Gunn will focus on the creative side of things, while Safran will focus on the business and production end. Both are expected to continue to direct and produce projects, respectively. They will report directly as all business stuff from here. But, essentially... What's happened is, DC knows what side their bread is buttered on. The DCEU Mm -hmm. has put out a lot of projects that were not as well received as they could be. Um, A lot of the uh, Bats v. Soups was kind of garbage. Justice League went through two iterations, both of which were kind of deemed to be substandard. But Peacemaker was the most watched series on HBO Max. And the the Suicide Squad, the reboot, um, was generally agreed upon to be about the most successful not just financially, but also creatively DCEU film to date. So they uh, swallowed their pride and went with a guy who uh, double dips with the competition, uh, James Gunn, also the uh, very famously the steward of the Guardians of the Galaxy stuff for, uh, for, for Marvel. Just talked about the new uh, holiday specials, so... Yeah, but uh, they decided that they were willing to, uh, to let him kind of keep his hand in both pots, and so he will be heading up the, the creative wing of the DCEU now, and hopefully... They'll be able to hang with the Marvel stuff going forward. I don't know. I think maybe this might put a death knell into his uh, his career with Marvel for at least a little while. I mean, because this is a pretty big uh, this is a pretty big get. This is a pretty big position. It's like asking Kevin Feige to jump in and do a DC movie. I just don't know that it's going to happen. But I mean, this is big, big news. This is big. I mean, James Gunn is one of the most marketable names in nerd culture, sci-fi right now, as it is. He's kind of picked up the torch from Zack Snyder and uh, Joss Whedon after they kind of both fell from grace a little bit after botching some of their projects right. and, and some personal things. So he's, he's yeah, you're right. He's about the biggest name in superhero entertainment right now. And to quote James Gunn, he says, quote, We're honored to be the stewards of these DC characters we've loved since we were children. Uh, we look forward to collaborating with the most talented writers, directors, and actors in the world to create an integrated, multi-layered universe that still allows for the individual expression of the artists involved. Uh, our commitment to Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Harley Quinn, and the rest of the DC stable of characters is only equaled by our commitment to the wonder of human possibility these characters present. We're excited to invigorate the theatrical experience around the world as we tell some of the biggest, most beloved, and grandest stories ever told. So, uh, I mean, geek news don't get much bigger than this. The nerd news nexus can't stretch any wider, folks. This is kind of hot off the presses as of the time of recording. Uh, By the time you hear this, it'll be a couple days old. People will already be up in their fields about it, so... Uh, yeah, we had, this is the first time we've ever come back to the studio to record another segment 
to put in the middle of all the other segments. And so, After we've already got the episode in the can. But yeah, we couldn't let this one go. It was uh, just too no. big a news. And it, it almost seems, as you're sort of reading the statement from Gunn there, it almost seems like... Um, you know, doing right by these characters within a larger framework of a universe, but also allowing people to tell individual stories is kind of almost feels like a little bit of shade thrown at Marvel. Because one of the criticisms from the creatives at Marvel was, I felt kind of hamstrung by having mm-hmm. to dovetail the story I wanted to tell into how it fit into the framework of the larger universe. And there were certain things that got handed down from Feige and Co. from the top. Uh, you just can't do this. So it almost felt like in that statement, it was it was just a little bit of a uh, little bit of a backhand to come to, uh, to, come to DC. We got what you need. Come to DC. Yeah, we'll we let you tell the stories the best you want. And brightest. Yeah. So, big news. We now return you to your regularly scheduled Feel Your Fandom podcast, already in progress. Let's see the next thing I want to talk about. Okay, this one's a bit of sad news, and and I know we gotta uh, we gotta get into sad news every now and again. Yeah, we do. There was a celebrity death this week that was pretty prominent. Uh, Leslie Jordan, mm-hmm. uh, who a lot of you may know from social media, a lot of you like me would know him from Will and Grace. Yeah, he played uh, uh, Karen's nemesis on Will and Grace, and he's he's short. And he's shrill. And he's and sassy. He's just... Karen Walker. I thought I smelled gin and regret. <laughs> Beverly Leslie. You look more like a woman every time I see you. <laughs> Thank you. Oh. And absolutely. just hilarious. Just a funny, funny, funny guy. And uh, he, he, he right. proved that after the show wrapped. He... he um, Went to social media and had a very popular TikTok account all throughout the pandemic where he just kind of made fun of things and brought a lot of joy to a lot of people. And what's really sad is he was 67, um, which is a yeah. pretty young age to, to pass, but uh, certainly a lot of people do pass of natural causes in their 60s. But uh, Leslie had a car accident, and that's really sad, uh, you know, to, to be cut off, um, you know, way before it's your time to go. Um, just a very, very sad thing. Uh, he had a medical condition that preempted the auto accident yeah. so the medical condition caused the the car accident i believe it was a car into a building uh, situation yes which we just had recently with ann Hache, but mm-hmm. um it's just really sad i mean like i said i don't know a whole lot about him but i did like what i saw and it's ironic the same day and and only about an hour after i heard of his passing uh i was on tiktok scrolling as you do on my for you page yep and there one of his videos popped up and it was him uh talking about how he was going to do a remake of Ludacris's move bitch <laughs> uh but as a country song <sighs> and, and i just thought that was insanely funny and uh good good sportsmanship on luda's part to just kind of take part in that and just go like nah man i don't think so <laughs> but uh, uh rest in peace uh Leslie Jordan. So, uh, let's see. Do we have any other news? That well, I had something popped, popped up uh, I, as we were kind of getting ready to ramp up for this one, and uh, I have mixed sure. feelings about it. Um, this is from uh, comicbook.com. <clears throat> okay. A new Mortal Kombat game called Mortal Kombat Onslaught got announced this week amid the 30th anniversary of the franchise, with this new game scheduled to be released next year in 2023. 
As Mortal Kombat fans might have guessed by, I'm quoting from the article now, might have guessed by its name, however, this isn't the next mainline fighting game in the long-running series which most recently gave players Mortal Kombat 11. Instead, Mortal Kombat Onslaught is a mobile-only collection role-playing game. We are pushing the boundaries of Mortal Kombat to allow players to experience the franchise in new ways while still staying true to its core visceral nature, said Ed Boon. With Mortal Kombat Onslaught, we are reimagining Mortal Kombat into a strategic team-based collection RPG with fast-paced group melee combat that both new and existing fans can enjoy. Now, first of all, Ed Boon didn't say that, and I know that because I have written countless press releases in my career, and <laughs> one of the most fun things about writing a press release is kind of gathering a general overall attitude from somebody high up in the company who's insanely quotable and authoritative, and then just making up what the fuck they would say if they knew what to say. So Ed Boon didn't say that. I can guarantee you he didn't say that. But had he even if he had said that, this is not a game anybody was asking for. It's not a game anybody wants. Mortal Kombat, the essence of Mortal Kombat. Anytime they look, I'm I'm willing to give, and I I should be. You sh we should all be willing to give creators of properties the freedom to do whatever they want with their properties and not be toxic fans and go. Oh, that sucks. I'm not going to play that because it isn't exactly what I want or what I'm used to. You should be able to stretch with your creative right. properties and, and, and take your IPs in new directions. But the but... essence of Mortal Kombat is that it's a fighting game. It's a Twitch-based fighting game where you can learn button combos and you can dominate opponents on a, on a console or an arcade console. And so putting out a mobile collection RPG, that's that's like... Boy, anybody remember when Blizzard announced that the next Diablo game was going to be mobile only and the entire room just groaned directly in their face at the expo? Uh. Wow. I mean, this is, this is, nobody wants this. Nobody wants this. And anytime I hear, you know, collection RPG on mobile, I know that it's going to be a microtransaction filled shit show. Let's play Raid Shadow Legends. Start. Yep. And, yep. you know... If Steph Sterling has taught me anything, it's to be wary of microtransactions. They're for sure. Steph was one of the first people to talk about that and has really never been wrong in their ideas about it. And so, it's nope. interesting. No, it's just always a cash grab. Players hate it. Um, and I actually, you know, I, here's the thing. I, I, I don't play a lot of mobile games. But I am addicted as hell to the dumb little fucking Brick Breaker games. You've got a bunch of bricks with number values above you and a little ball that you shoot at them. And the ball has to hit an, a brick any number of times to remove it from the playfield. And then, much like Tetris, boom, if you don't, you know, the, the whole playfield shunts down and another whole line of bricks comes up. They're dumb little toilet games you can spend three or four minutes playing at a time and then just come back to if you want to whenever. But there are one or two of them. That starts you off the first 20 or 30 levels being, you, you get that sort of like uh, stimulus response, brain chemical reward of being able to clear all the bricks on the first try without having to continue or start the level over. And then after about, you know, the first 20 or 30 levels, then they start making these, these they start putting bricks up that have thousands of, of pings that you have to hit. And, and you know, the, the play field is only 20 or 30 bricks deep and you just, you're never going to be able to do it unless you get insanely lucky. And, of course, the physics are simulated physics, and they're just not very reliable and not very consistent. So, of course, they say, well, you can continue if you want to spend three jewels, and you can buy three jewels for $1.99. So, there was yep. a time and a place when I would do that. Was, ah, shit, I almost had that one. And they, they structure these levels very carefully so that you, if you almost get it. You almost get it. If you had one more turn, you could fucking get it. And so, of course, you buy one more turn for $2, you clear the level, and the next level comes up. And it's just a, a literally never-ending 
onslaught of just level after level. And after you buy your three jewels for $1.99 to get one more turn to clear the level you couldn't clear after you've restarted and weren't able to do it five or six times. Then you realize, oh, I'm just, I just got sucked into a constant loop of always having to pay two bucks or 99 cents or whatever the fuck it is for every level of this game just to get to the next one where I'm going to, again, barely not make it and have to pay another $2. Fuck this noise. I'm not doing it anymore. So I have a few that are <laughs> sort of procedurally generated that use the same formula that are just frustrating but not impossible. But the ones that want to charge you for the next level are always the ones where they just make it just a little bit impossible. And I'm just, I'm not going to play that game, literally or figuratively. I'm not going to get sucked into that never-ending cycle of having to pay, oh, it's just two bucks. Well, at the end of the month, you've paid $50 for this dumb little toilet game. And I fucking refuse. I won't do it. Um, yep. Even though microtransactions on console are also Satan, every once in a while, I will still opt in to buy some of those experiences just because... They don't seem egregious to me a lot of the time. Like, the Assassin's Creed series, which I unabashedly love and will play every edition of as long as they put those things out, has long had this yep. thing, at least the last three or four games that they've done, where from the outset you can spend, you know, five bucks or whatever and buy a little buff for your character that allows you to earn twice the experience per interaction. So if you've got experience points you need to use to level up to add abilities to your character... Uh, you can do that through just grinding away at it, but you make the gameplay significantly... We've talked about this before. I want to play games the way I want. Oh, it breaks the game if you give yourself extra buffs at the start. No, I always want to feel just a little bit more powerful than whatever I'm up against. If I fuck up, if I fall in a pit, if I get a red sword in my ribs, ah, you know, that was my fault. But I always want to feel like I'm just a little bit beefier than whatever they're throwing at me. And so I, I tend to, whenever the new Assassin's Creed games come out, I'll look at whatever they've got available in the store whether it's an overpowered weapons pack I get to start off with, whether it's that experience doubler or what have you, sometimes I'll buy those things. And if I enjoy the game enough, I might also buy the season pass or some additional DLC so I can get more game. But those things always feel optional. Those things always feel like this right. is an enhancement to your gameplay that you can It's choose. not pay to play. Right. It's, yeah. yeah, it's very different. And it's entirely possible, and for some people even preferable, to play the game on on just raw dog mode and fucking just go for it with whatever you're given and, and grind up on a very organic and natural basis. But I'm also a person who in my 40s, I don't have a ton of time. I got a full-time job. I got a bunch of hobbies. I got freelance work that I do, the band, all kinds of things. And I also need to have something of a social life once in a while. So for me, it makes sense to spend a couple of bucks once to buy a little bit of a little kick just to kind of start myself off with just a little bit more juice behind my character so that I can kind of like not walk through the game, not just breeze through it like there's no challenges at all, but at least to, to stack the deck a little bit in my favor so that I'm not spending quite so much time grinding levels. I had an experience like that recently. Like I said, I was playing that uh, that Lower Decks game yeah. that I picked up recently. And uh, when I, in October, like early October, I switched phones. I went from the Samsung Galaxy, or what is it, the... Ultra's twenty S twenty one Ultra, pretty decent phone, but I hadn't upgraded in like two years, and it was time because yeah. I usually upgrade every year, and I was jonesing, and uh, so uh, I upgraded to the uh, Samsung uh, Galaxy Z Fold four. Ooh! So, oh my goodness! One of those fancy dude, bendy phones. My boy's thing. in the future. That's right, and uh, it's really cool. But uh, when I switched over, it, it has an app. Samsung has an app that'll switch all of your stuff from one phone to the other. So yeah, they want to keep you in their ecosystem. I, I'm on OnePlus phones, and they do the same thing, and I know Apple does too. 
But the one thing that didn't transfer was my lower decks. Oh no. None of my my progress in lower decks saved for some reason. And uh, so I started over. I'd lost characters that I had earned and, and things like that. And So I sent the company uh, a quick email going, hey, I switched phones and none of my shit's here anymore. Yeah. I have to start over from scratch. They sent me like a, a welcome pack, I guess. I don't know what you would call it, but it was like dozens of characters and thousands of gems and all this shit. And, and it, it stacked the deck for me again at the beginning. And like you were saying, but it, it didn't give me the characters back that I'd lost. I still lost those characters. But it did set me up to go into the game again. Pretty stacked. I'm sure and so that was mobile kind of developers nice. kind I, of... I can see the appeal. Yeah. Uh, mobile game developers probably run into that a lot, where people are upgrading phones every two or three years. We upgrade phones more often than we upgrade video game consoles, because those come out every seven to nine years. But, um, you know, everybody gets a phone every other year or so, sometimes every year. So I imagine it's probably a common complaint. There's probably not tools on the back end of the developer to make sure that you can port your stuff over when you start over with a new phone, even if you port the app and have, you know, have a save file on your thing. So I'm sure that they probably get that email a lot, like, hey, all of my shit went away, what can you hook me up with? And they probably put that together, which is responsible on their part. I mean, if they're a developer, it's good to keep yeah. people playing. You want to, you don't want to irritate people, you want to have them enjoy your game. So it's pretty cool if they did that. A lot of places wouldn't. Um, so I'll do credit to the developers of Lower Decks for that. Absolutely. Uh, another piece... Okay, so we're looking... I don't know if we're looking forward to uh, Onslaught, Mortal Kombat Onslaught, but I mean, like you said, I'll probably poke around at it, give it a try, and see if it's not a microtransaction-y buggy piece of shit. So we'll, we'll give it a chance. We'll give it a chance. I am a fan of the Mortal Kombat series, so... Finish him! That said, uh, another piece of news that crossed the old... Fuel your fandom news desk. We had uh, an interview uh, come out with Tim Burton, the mighty Tim Burton. And he gets the uh, the common questions, oh, where's Beetlejuice 2 and things like that. When's that going to happen? And, and uh, um, it, the conversation did stem to uh, if he had planned to work with Disney again. After uh, Dumbo. He did the live action remake of Dumbo. Um, well let's just suffice it to say that he was not thrilled with the experience. Quote. The thing about Dumbo is that's why I think my days with Disney are done. I realized that I was Dumbo. That I was working in this horrible big circus and I needed to escape. That movie is quite autobiographical at a certain level. Uh, Burton also has criticisms for the company's penchant for popular franchises, including Star Wars and Marvel superhero flicks, saying that he has no plans to direct any such projects for the company. Quote, It's gotten to be very homogenized, very consolidated. There's less room for different types of things. I can only deal with one universe. I can't deal with a multi-universe. Uh, it doesn't look like there was any love lost between... Uh, Tim Burton in Disney, and it doesn't look like he will be returning to the well anytime soon. Well, I mean, at least according to this, that might be okay in a way because Tim Burton kind of made my shit list recently. Uh, because okay. somebody, and it, it all kind of it was a, a swirling sort of like miasma of bad press around the new Jordan Peele movie that is coming to, or either has come to, or is coming to Netflix, I believe, called Wendell and Wild. And Wendell and Wild is a Jordan Peele joint. 
And what he's done with that is he's created a stop-motion animation thing, and it is told... Uh, it's, it's, it's definitely a, a black story. Um, and it threw into sort of relief that a lot of people kind of looked at Tim Burton as like, hey, man, why do you only have white casts, ever? Only white people in your movies. And even when you have an opportunity to do an animated movie, none of your characters are characters of color unless they're... You know, you might have some non-human characters or some animatronic or or anthropomorphic characters, but you you, you never have any any characters that are presenting of of being of color. And Tim Burton, rather right. than saying, you know what, that's a good point. I'm going to work on that. Um, thank you for bringing that to my attention. I'm going to make sure that I introduce a little more diversity. He doubled down and said, yeah, black people don't really fit my aesthetic, which is the Ooh. wrong answer, um, because Ooh. yeah. And his whole reasoning for that was, well, I deal a lot in gothic things which have European roots, and gothic is all about, like, pale skin and everything. I know a fucking ton of black goths, and they rock that oh, shit yeah. harder than anybody. So Tim Burton basically got called out on his, his uh, lack of diversity in his casting and said, yeah, that's my thing, that's what I do. Um, so this Wendell and Wild project, obviously stop motion takes years to really do. It's been in progress for quite some time. Um, from Jordan Peele, but it, it kind of, the timing on it, it coming out right around now was very auspicious in that a lot of people who are fans of sort of like creepy gothic Nightmare Before Christmas kind of movies that have never really had a movie like that where they see themselves on screen are kind of really gravitating towards this project, and I think it's fucking great because I would love to see more diversity and more representation on the screen in every aspect. And if Tim Burton is going to literally say to some interviewer, or I don't know if it was a tweet, I honestly don't know what, what platform this assertion came out on, but when challenged on his lack of diversity, he said, yeah, I don't do that. And so for him to sit there and say that there's not any opportunity to do things that are different kind of sounds like fuck you sour grapes to me because he has plenty of opportunity to do th different things and introduce different kinds of characters into his movies, but he's doubled down on defending his own... Um, if not outright racism, at least sins of exclusion when it comes to having people beyond white people in his films on any level. Yeah, you would think the only course of action really would be to say nothing. I mean... Yeah, or come out and say, hey, you know, like I said, you're right, that's a problem, I'm going to work on that. Yeah, I don't know. It just feels gross. It does feel gross. Uh, speaking <sighs> of that kind of thing... A uh, thing I saw blow up kind of this morning, and, and I, I, don't, I think it's people are taking it out of context. I think maybe it might be a little bit <sighs> bitchy. I don't know. It's it's hard to draw the line. But people are calling out uh, Star Trek actor Robert Beltran, who played uh, Chakotay on Star Trek Voyager, um, because he's mm -hmm. posting seemingly anti-democratic things on Twitter and... and yeah, again, yeah, it's it's something that I haven't read much into. I haven't gotten much into, and and certainly I don't think we should castigate any celebrity who doesn't vote the way I vote. That's not how I feel. Uh, certainly, I've had a lot of things to say about, uh, you know, or what's her name? Fuck, Gina Carano, and I've had things to say about. Mm -hmm. You know, Kevin Sorbo and Scott Bayo and all these people who've just completely, yeah. Dean Cain and John Voight. But I don't think, so far, I don't think that uh, Robert Beltran has done quite that bad. He said something cheeky, and uh, it was directed at Tim Russ, his co-star from Star Trek Voyager, who played uh, uh, Lieutenant Tuvok. But, uh, I don't know. People are already, like, throwing up memes and... and 
trying to get cancel culture woken up on him and everything like that. And I don't think it should work that way. I, I honestly don't. Um, it's kind of like the mob mentality. I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of that. Uh, we do have to give people room to have different opinions. Right. Unless their opinions are gross. People of color aren't human. Women right. don't deserve rights. And vaccines cause autism. You know, that, that kind of thing is problematic, obviously, because I, I tend to live a reality-based life. Right. But if somebody simply has a different opinion about something, and it's not something that necessarily impacts other people, eh, I haven't really read much about it either. But I, I keep on hearing rumors that um, in the wake of the Picard series on Paramount+, Plus, they're thinking about um, you know doing a Janeway series yep. and bringing back Kate Mulgrew for that. And if they do that, they're going to have to, at some point, address... You know, they, they'll have to have, like, like they had on the Picard series, bringing back all the old actors to reprise their roles... Uh, they would obviously have to have Robert Beltran and Tim Russ and, and some of the other folks who, who were on the deck of the ship uh, come back and, and do those things in, a, in a, a later iteration of the character sort of thing. So, I don't know that this... It, it's, it might be the part, the um, a preemptive strike against that guy. Hey, if, you're, if you want to be involved in projects for Star Trek, which has always been very progressive, you might need to... Uh, you know, keep your mouth shut a little bit about some of your more controversial political opinions because you don't want to be Gina Carano. You don't want to be Kevin Sorbo. Kevin Sorbo, who recently tweeted something along the lines of, boy, uh, the woke mob is keeping me from work, and I could win an Oscar if I'd only agree to play like a Muslim terrorist pedophile. No, for fuck's sake. And, you know, obviously, he, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but that's almost literally what he said. He, he used those words. So, I mean, I don't know. It's just difficult. There are definitely layers of transgression um, if you're going to be Kanye West, if you're going to be Gina Carano, and you're going to be anti-Semitic, if you're going to be somebody like Gary Busey, who you know, has been accused of sexual assault, or to tie it again back to, to Star Trek, uh, Anthony Rapp um, just testified against Kevin Spacey, and Kevin Spacey was acquitted of wrongdoing. Yeah, that's uh, And at least the UK courts, for the shit that he allegedly pulled, and I still believe that he did, because it just tracks with what I know about that guy. So, you know, we're just, we're in an era of entertainment and of social consciousness where you kind of have to really temper your opinions a little bit. And if your opinions skew towards, there are people out there in the world who don't deserve life, liberty, rights, or the pursuit of happiness, then you might want to check that shit and keep your fucking mouth shut. Yes, and in fact, uh, I was thinking the same thing. We, we just You just mentioned Kanye. Oh, Yeezy. Jesus Christ. Oh, Yeez. He, is, he just lost some more endorsements today. Yep, he has lost his endorsement with... Uh, Adidas. He has lost his endorsement with Balenciaga. I mean, he Mm -hmm. is... And what I love was, I I believe I remember reading somewhere that he said, I could say whatever I want and Adidas will never dump me, which is basically his Trump version of, I could shoot somebody in the face in the middle of Fifth Avenue and wouldn't lose any support. Well, Adidas called his bluff and said, yeah, no, we're not going to work with you anymore because uh, we don't uh, don't share your values and we don't believe in what you believe in. So we're done here. Yep. And that is a natural consequence for what's going on. He has come out and said some really yeah. hateful, stupid shit recently. He's admitted to being off his meds. Now, one of the coolest takes on this that I have seen is I watched a TikTok. It was a behind-the-scenes of The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. And Trevor Noah was uh, fielding questions and, and stuff from the audience during the break. And one of the audience members yells out, Hey, why are you beefing with Ye? And, he's, and he goes in to explain what his definition of beef is. And he's like, I'm not beefing with Ye. He says, beef is when you're actively going back and forth, and it's like a hip-hop thing, and that's not what's happening here. He said, I love Kanye West. I think he's one of the most creative minds that we've ever seen. He's a freaking musical genius. 
Uh, I think he'll tell you. Ask him. Right, Kanye will tell you that. But uh, he goes on to be very, very. Uh, uh, a, he's a fan. Trevor Noah's a fan of Kanye West. But what happens is, is he's got to be able to call someone out on their bad behaviors, their bad transgressions. Yeah. Because if you can't and you just kind of, oh, whatever, it's just Kanye being Kanye, you're not getting the help you need. You're not getting the understanding that what you're doing is incorrect and wrong. Because uh, Kanye has admitted to multiple occasions that he's, you know, he's got uh, mental health issues. He's got mental health problems. That he's medicated for a lot of the time, but you know, recently he's come out and say, "I'm not taking my meds and this, that, and the other thing." And so there's a lot of empathy with Trevor Noah going, "Dude, why? You need to take your meds, bro. You know, you need to you need to get back on your meds." And he's he, he showed such amazing empathy for someone that I would just write off and just throw in the trash can, and and it was kind of humbling to watch, honestly, just because it made me feel like maybe I'm being too judgmental, but. At the same time, I don't share the same kind of reverence for Kanye as a lot of people do. Uh, he is a pretty, yeah. he's a pretty good rapper. I've seen, I've listened to some of his rap. You know, it's all right, but it certainly doesn't outweigh the publicity stunty negative bullshit that he's been pulling recently, and and the anti-Semitic crap and and all that. I just it's hard to get behind. So. Uh, Balenciaga and Adidas dropping their endorsements for Kanye West just seems like a natural uh, timeline of events, a natural progression, and it's going to keep happening, and it should. There should be. Con- I've always yeah, been should. a fan of the theory that stupidity should be painful, and that's what this is. <laughs> this is stupidity, and this is painful to watch, but painful for him financially. Hit the pocketbook. That's the only place you're going to hit him. You know. That's pretty hard to argue with. So. Uh, yeah, and you know, on that note, I, I uh, during the road tripping that uh, we undertook this weekend, I wound up listening to quite a few podcasts, caught up on ours, and um, also listened to a couple of uh, episodes of WTF with Mark Marin, and also Dax Shepard's Armchair Expert podcast, and uh, there were a couple of guests that they had that kind of talked a little bit about this. Uh, Mark Marin had Patton Oswalt on, yeah. and it was uh, from a couple of months ago, and they talked about how Patton had gotten some shit for... Showing up and taking a picture with Dave Chappelle. Dave was in town and said, hey, Patton, you want to come down and check out the show? And maybe we can catch up a little bit. And Patton's like, fuck yeah, I haven't seen you in forever. So he went down and took a picture together. And then a day or two later, um, people were giving Patton Oswalt a bunch of shit online about how could you associate with that guy? Uh, he's a turf. You know, he's, he's, uh, he's got all these anti-trans views and he's not shy about expressing them. And Patton Oswalt um, just came out with a rebuttal and basically said, you know, look, Dave Chappelle is my friend. I love him. He's creative. He's hilarious. We go back a long way. We disagree vehemently on personhood rights for trans people, but um, it really is just one of those things that we try and educate each other on. He tells me about his viewpoints. I don't agree with him. I tell him about mine. He doesn't agree, but I, I, you know, we just go back so far that I understand people want to like, you know, he's toxic, cut him out of your life, but it's just really difficult because I have to take things on a case-by-case basis. Then, of course, after I came out and said that, there are all these people like, oh, the woke police got to Patton. And he's like, you know what? Just fuck you. I don't have patience or time for this. Look, Dave Chappelle is my friend. We disagree on trans rights. I just, I'm not at a point in my life where I feel like I need to cut him out of it because of that. And then I moved on to listen to Dax Shepard's podcast, which is very good. And they had Tom Hanks on. And they addressed the fact that, uh, you know, Tom Hanks had won his first Oscar for playing a gay man in Philadelphia. And he said, obviously, I would not do that now because I don't feel like I can necessarily speak to that experience. It was a good experience at the time, and I really felt like it was an important story to tell, but there just weren't any out 
gay actors at that point that, that, you know, and so the, the co-host on the Dax Shepard podcast is a young actress and a friend of Dax's named Monica Padman. And she came out to, to Tom Hanks and said, not came out to Tom Hanks, but she said to Tom Hanks, look, I, I think I would argue that as much as in retrospect, you might look back and think I couldn't play that role. Now I'd argue that you were about the only person who could have played it at the time, because, you know, in terms of like beloved actors who are safe, who people know they can trust, um, who people handle uh, with they, sensitivity, they look at you, and go that, you know, yeah. right. And she said that, and he was flattered by that, and, and said, I, I, "I appreciate that you feel that way." And um, you know, if this part again came to me now, I wouldn't be able to do it. But he said, "You know, at the time, I felt like it, it was, it was a courtroom drama. It was a courtroom drama with an LGBTQ story at the heart of it." You know, did this guy deserve to get fired because he had AIDS and that stigmatizing the, the gay community and all that? And so, you know, at the time, it was important for him to do that, but he would not be able to do it now. The pop culture would not allow him to do it now, and to a certain extent, I believe that's important to recognize that we do need to have more representation trans actors and actresses should play trans characters lgbtq actors and actresses should play those characters um but I, there, there needs to be a tipping point somewhere where we need to realize that um there's a line of what is acceptable and what isn't because in the same run of podcasts on the road out there i listened to neil patrick harris on the uh dax shepherd podcast as well and he very famously has i mean he played a womanizer on how i met your mother uh, he played an absolute uh, on-the-road horn dog in the Harold and Kamar movie. Um, so he is a gay actor who has played straight characters a lot. And, you know, I understand that's sort of like the punching down versus punching up thing. Right. Um, there's a, an aspect of any bigotry that, that comes with whoever the, the party in power is should not be taking things away from nor making fun of nor mocking the, the aggrieved party, the traditionally marginalized demographic. Um, so, you know, hiring a... Uh, a, a gay actor to play a straight character is not seen as being as problematic as like hiring Tilda Swinton to play a Tibetan, um, or you know uh, uh, Emma Stone to play an Asian. So it's just there are ways to do this and there are ways to not do this. And uh, much in the same way that I, I didn't argue an iota with Michael Clark Duncan being able to play uh, you know Wilson Fisk in, in the, uh, the Daredevil movies with Ben Affleck, it's just difficult to know where the line is. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've got, uh, whereas Hamilton is a very celebrated American piece of creativity where actors of various ethnic backgrounds play all white characters, um, but, you know, you try and do that the other way, and it's just going to be an issue in the popular culture. And there's there's tipping points, sort of like pendulums that come and go with those sorts of things, but I kind of feel like we're in a better place in society where we really can look at those roles as going to the people that can they just have more of a handle on the lived experience required to really portray them sympathetically and accurately. Yeah. So that's all I've got on the news desk. Did you have anything else on your side, Mr. Jim? One last real quick thing that kind of crossed my, uh, my desktop a, uh, a couple of days ago. Hit me. Um, the Ironheart series is coming out that we talked about a little earlier on Disney plus. It's going to be Riri Williams going to be, uh, spinning out somewhat. of Wakanda forever. Yeah. Yep, and uh, she is a brilliant young inventor in the MCU, or actually in the Marvel Universe on the page, and uh, they're giving her a series. She's kind of an analog of Iron Man to a degree because she is a fan of Tony Stark in the canon, and she retro-engineers her own suit and kind of you know takes on, if not the Tony Stark role, at least you know she's kind of a, a character that is a, a super-powered character wearing a, a super-powered suit that she built herself. So she's getting her own series, and, and they're sort of backdoor introducing her as going to be one of the next Young Avengers or what have you. Interesting to see what's going to go on with that, with like Kate Bishop and 
and um, Kamala Khan and all the young characters are introduced on television. Scar! But in the MCU series, Scar! There have been some persistent rumors that are apparently getting closer to confirmation uh, because there's just been a lot of evidence that Mephisto will be the big bad <laughs> of the Ironheart series. And Mephisto will be played by none other than, drumroll please, Sasha Baron Cohen. Now see, if, there's a big if, if they do bring in Mephisto into the MCU, like they've been hinting at, like people have been going fucking crazy for since WandaVision, if yeah. they bring in Mephisto, I can't think of anyone better to play him. I can't. No. You know, and I can't. And Sasha Baron Cohen is very method. He tends to absorb himself into his characters. And very famously, that was why he was uh, somewhat ousted from the what became Bohemian Rhapsody with Rami Malek playing Freddie Mercury. Sasha Baron Cohen was originally uh, producing and one of the creative forces and, and writers and just very involved in what would become Bohemian Rhapsody in the Freddie Mercury role. And physically, I, I can definitely see that. Um, but he really wanted to do, uh, apparently, and this is something that's been bandied about in the press a lot, and I pay attention to Queen News, because obviously, as we've covered in previous episodes, I'm a huge Queen fan, but Brian May and Roger Taylor wanted to do the movie that eventually came out. They really wanted to do an affectionate love letter to the fans that told the story, but somewhat through a gauzy lens that didn't necessarily ignore all of the rough things that happened with the, the fights and, and Freddie getting sick and all the things that happened but that were a little bit more sensitive towards it. Whereas Sasha Baron Cohen, being who Sasha Baron Cohen is, I mean, we've all seen Bruno, you know, we've all seen um, uh, Borat, we've all seen how balls to the wall he goes with things. He wanted to bring that energy to the Freddie Mercury biopic. He wanted to, to do a, a, a very audacious, warts and all sort of uh, picture that didn't shy away from some of the stickier bits of that history. And Brian and Roger were not interested in doing that. They wanted to do something a little more affectionate, a little more sort of like uh, what they said to be respectful of Freddie's memory. And I honestly can't argue with the outcome. I saw Bohemian Rhapsody about three or four times in the theater. I own it on Blu-ray. Uh, I watch it once every couple of months. Um, even though I, I know the story of Queen intimately and inside and out, and they definitely took some liberties with the actual history, it, it is a, a brilliant, beautiful, wonderful movie, and I, I it's one of my all-time favorites. Um, and I, I think... Sasha Baron Cohen bringing that sort of like Bruno Borat, Ali G energy to the role and just going very fucking pedal to the metal and balls out on it might not have been the right choice because as over the top as Freddie Mercury was on stage, he was a very shy and reserved person off stage. He saved it all for the performance and was out there holding 250,000 people in the palm of his hand, but then he was also very famously off stage, quite reserved and very quiet and much more like the way that uh, Rami Malek portrayed him in the movie, right. under the direction, somewhat, of Brian and Roger, who knew him better than anybody. So, uh, but uh, Mephisto? I mean, fuck yeah. He's, he's definitely all about... Uh, I, 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 he would bring the right energy to that role, and I think if these rumors wind up being true, um, I'm going to be all over that like white on rice. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, let us know... Dear listeners, if you had any news past your news desks that maybe you think we should have covered. But uh, Jim and I just wanted to come at you with a little bit of news because, you know, trying to cram it all in the first like 20, 30 minutes of a segment is just kind of difficult sometimes because there's so much of it. So we wanted to make sure we dedicated enough time today to kind of clear the desk and because a lot of big things happening, so... But let us. We do live in a golden age of geekery. That's for sure. We do. It is. I was, I've said it before, and I'll continue to shout its praises from the rafters. But uh, 
Let us know what you think, uh, dear listeners. We do appreciate uh, you guys weighing in, sending us an emails. If you want to get in touch with us at the show, there's a couple of ways you can do that. You can always hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash fuelyourfandom. You can send us an email at fuelyourfandom at gmail.com. The backup Gmail is fyftalentbooking at gmail.com, and that's how you hit us up if you have a show idea or a guest idea. Uh, or even if that's yourself, especially. And you can find us on Instagram at @fuelyourfandom, on Twitter at, at @fuel underscore your, and you can find us on all the fine podcast platforms anywhere you get your podcasts. We're on Stitcher, we're on iHeartRadio, we're on Audible, we're on Spotify. You name it, we're there. However you hear us, we're always flattered that you hear us. Absolutely. And so uh, from us to you, we want to thank you again for listening to another episode of the Fuel Your Fandom podcast. Like I said, big news coming, big announcement coming very soon. I can't wait. But uh, until that day, just remember that everything is fandom, and fandom is everything. Take care.